a late edition of Open Mind UFO Radio. Uh, That's right, your host, me, Alejandro Rojas, has been sick the last couple of days, and I'll get more into that in a minute, but I first want to tell you about this cool dude who's uh, joining me to do the news, and that is Martin Cool Dude Willis. Hello, Martin. (laughs) I don't know if I resemble that remark. You don't think you're a cool dude? Well, I think I used to be, but, you know, as you get older, you get, well, I don't know. I'm more distinguished than cool, I guess. Well, when I think of cool dude and I think of you, um, it kind of reminds me of Mr. Cool or Joe Cool. Do you remember when I was a kid? It was my favorite T-shirt was this, uh, you know, these um, Snoopy T-shirts. Where Snoopy had oh, on these yeah. glasses, and, and he, he would call himself Joe Cool. Well, I actually had mirrored sunglasses for years when I was back in the 70s. I Ooh. don't know if that, that that might count. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so at least I think you're cool. That's enough. Oh. Well, so you were sick. Yeah. I uh, I don't know what it was. I had Thai food. You know, me and my girlfriend both got it. Uh, I thought I was fine. She started feeling sick soon after we ate, and uh, but that I thought I was fine. Then that night, like the middle of the night, I woke up with the worst chills I've maybe ever had in my life, mm. and it was all downhill from there. It was just awful. Even to this moment, I'm not back up to 100%. I have not been able to really completely. Well, you know, this morning was the first meal. I've been able to eat a whole bowl of cereal, and hopefully this will stay down. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll see. At least during the show. <laughs> at least yeah, during yeah. the show. Yeah. I don't want to make a mess out of my nice little microphone here and stuff. That'd be awful. It might make for good radio. I know. Great sound effects. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you you actually went there. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so so, but uh, at, luckily I am on them. And what's amazing about these stomach viruses uh, is that they hit you so hard, and they could be gone in 24, 48 hours. You know, it doesn't take long for them to to run their course, even though they can be so like severe. I mean, at one point I was sweating and just awful. So. Uh, I'm glad that uh, I am getting better, though. I have a lot to do. It was the worst time to get sick because a lot to do, including this incredible interview that I've got for the show today. So this is great because, of course, we talked about the Puerto Rico sighting. And I just want to, in a nutshell, put it in there for people. So uh, there, there's a video that came out actually somewhat over a year ago, kind of leaked, but it was a poor quality video of what looked like some uh, military footage from uh, thermal imaging footage. It came out. Lots of people speculated about what it might be. People didn't know much. 
then a couple months ago, an, an, um, an anonymous letter came out to John Greenwald, our good buddy from the Black Vault, uh, who we talk to, of course, often. He didn't know what to make of it. It was a, a higher quality of this video. Um, and uh, it had some interesting things to say in the letter. Little did anyone know, except I did know. I couldn't let people know I knew. But I did know that there was a group who this whole time has been very carefully examining this video. And it's a group of some of uh, my the, the researchers I respect the most in this field. Uh, some very careful uh, researchers with scientific background. Um, and they could not figure out what this thing is. And they put out a well um, a done report examination where they in detail tell you everything they looked into and why they couldn't figure out what it was and they had you know considered whether it was a balloon a bird and all of these other things so it's really great so the two guys um, I think one of them has not been on this show before uh, not that I can remember maybe he had in the past but because uh, these guys have known for years but I'm having on the to show two of the people from that group and uh, one is Robert Powell who's the research uh, director for MUFON and uh, also Morgan Bial who is the director of uh, Florida State MUFON uh, this project was not part of MUFON and we'll talk about that in the interview and, and why but I also wanted to let people know that they did this uh, essentially when they decided to post this they there was a decision uh, should we just post this on a website or should we that's just for this uh, report or maybe post it on a website where we can post other reports that are uh, done very carefully and meet a high level of scrutiny and and science in it uh, and so they created this scientific coalition for ufology uh, website where hopefully other great reports like this will go into since then there's been a lot of positive feedback. Uh, there have been some people who have been skeptical and who are looking at it and have uh, alternate theories such as a balloon or something like that. Uh, however, the most credentialed and expertise uh, opinions that uh, have been received thus far, such as from FLIR experts, have said that they think this report is right on and they agree that uh, even though these people uh, we've heard from have watched thousands of hours of footage from these exact systems, they cannot figure out what it is, and they think it is some of the strangest video they've ever seen. So uh, it, this, so far, the case is really holding up. So uh, it's made for really interesting and exciting um, stuff here. And, you know, one thing that people don't realize, I think some people are like, big deal, there's better pictures and videos out there. Well... The pictures and videos, uh, unfortunately, don't often hold up to scrutiny. Um, but what's exciting about this, I think, that people should realize is that this is, uh, you know, military-grade equipment. This is, um, you know, in military instruments that have captured this uh, this anomaly, and that's what makes it so significant, uh, I think. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, while I've been gone, has there been some kind of buzz or anything out there you've heard of, Martin? Not not really. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, people email me about different things, not that in particular. But, uh, you know, after watching that video, uh, I understand. I, we talked about this last week on my show a little bit. And, 
you know, I understand why people would think that it's a balloon. It looks like a balloon at first when you're looking at it, but when it does the thing over the water, that's when everything changes. Um, you can tell it's moving fast. A balloon wouldn't move fast and skip along the water uh, or skip through the water as it uh, as it appears to. So it really is uh, quite exciting. I can't wait to hear the interview yeah. after the show here. Good stuff. Good stuff. So let's get into UFO news of the week. Uh, what do you got for me there, buddy? Well, I, I like this uh, story because uh, you never hear anything described like this, or I haven't heard this description. It's probably out there. Long Island UFO was the size of an 18-wheeler. Uh, yeah, out in New York, out in Long Island, a little town. Well, it's not a little town. There's like 19,000 people or so there, and it's called Ron Konkuma. Um, and that uh, little town, there was a guy that was outside of his apartment complex. Uh, by the way, there is a video on Open Minds TV of this, but uh, what happened was uh, he took the video after basically after everything happened and i totally get that because you're you know you're all worked up when you're seeing something like this you're not even thinking straight and you know the video is like an afterthought now he lives um right by an airport and uh this is something you hear a lot when people talk about this and that is the the lights caught his attention because they were unusual and uh, you always hear that the lights look unusual and he stepped out of, he was in his vehicle outside of his apartment complex. He stepped out and uh, he saw, noticed that it was heading toward the airport. And as soon as it got near the airport, it shot its lights off. And then it, it stopped and just hovered. And then it backed up and then moved uh, 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 some distance away and started descending behind some trees. And that's when he caught a... Um, I think it was a security guard at, the, at his apartment complex, and the security guard actually saw him, I mean, saw the uh, craft uh, descend. And so there's more than one witness, and I think it's a, it's a even though there's not video evidence, um, he, you know, his video evidence is just him talking about it, but uh, you can't really see anything, but he, uh, he's, he's quite worked up. And um, so Joseph Flamer is the... Um, New York MUFON field investigator, and so is Nick Volgaris, and they're both um, uh, have considered this an unknown object. Really interesting, and again, it made no sound. Pretty cool one. Yeah, really interesting case. Um, and, you know, some people will complain, well, why are you posting cases without video or, or pictures? And it's so funny because some people are like, you know, these people have no excuse for getting any video or pictures. But you know what? I don't know, uh, and I would love to hear your opinion on this. Um, this is a great example of, you know, he didn't think of getting the video till afterwards. But even if you get it during the case, I mean, it turns out video and pictures are not, you know, giving us much information or helping us very much. And so even if they do look a little bit strange, they're often, you know, the video is not enough and you need the witness testimony. So... Um, you know, this, this whole field is, is started off of and, and, you know, dependent upon, uh, witness testimony so much that, uh, I think the witness testimony, especially in cases like this where you have multiple witnesses, is, is very interesting and compelling. 
Right. And, you know, speaking with Bruce McAbee a while back, he said that uh, images and videos were secondary to the witnesses. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a pretty good statement. Now, I wondered if the investigators checked to see if there was any, you know, radar paint on on this uh, craft of whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know, you know, and that's often difficult to get. And in fact, we talk about that in our interview uh, that we'll have coming up here in a little bit and how difficult, if not impossible, it is to get radar data from the FAA. Now, is it it wouldn't be freedom of information, would it? I mean, how how would you obtain that? You wouldn't. Uh, You (laughs) could request it, but they won't give it. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there's a, there's something really interesting. Uh, I think it's in the story, but uh, and we'll talk about more about this uh, in this interview. But uh, the Air Force has access to FAA radar data, and that's what they used in the Puerto Rico investigation. But they had to get it from the Air Force. So they did their FOIA to the Air Force. The Air Force gave them what they had, and it was from an FAA radar. But they said they won't ever do that again because they're no longer going to forward FAA radar data. They're only going to provide their own radar data if they deem it necessary. Huh. Yeah, it's so a, less access. Ad- adversarial, it seems. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, really unfortunate. Just, mm-hmm. just looking for uh, you know, information shouldn't be that difficult. It shouldn't be that closed off to, to the public. Yeah, but it is. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. So this is a funny one that I wanted to, a really interesting one. Uh, the British Interplanetary Society. Um, it's the oldest space advocacy organization, and they're a leading space development think tank. You know, they're like a big deal. Um, they're, they're only a couple blocks from the London headquarters of the Secret Service, the MI6, and all of this. And they've had these interesting think tank meetings that they've been having um, on a yearly basis regarding space and liberty. They're actually called extraterrestrial liberty. And they, uh, in this last one, one of the things they were discussing is how do you overthrow a Martian despot? So mm-hmm. kind of funny. So essentially, uh, it's, it's a developing um, thought think tank that they've been doing where they have been writing papers regarding uh, colonization of other planets. So if we had a Martian colony, you know, their first year was more along the lines of what would freedom look like? How would you organize a government out there? Um, how would law work for that sort of thing? Uh, the second one, if I can, I've got it down here. Anyways, it was um, it was a little bit uh, similar. Uh, about dealing with government and space and, and legal policy. The, then the third one is more about dissent, revolution, and liberty in space. So what if there's a revolution? How do you allow for a dissent and, uh, you know, recourse, um, but also keep a, a, a control on things? So kind of a funny thing. So these are these uh, these real meetings that are going on. Uh, a lot of scientists, philosophers, writers, and, and such get involved with this. And they're writing these things in hopes that when we do begin to colonize, that, um, you know, these will be able to be used um, by, you know, future human governments that are trying to establish these sort of things. So it's it's early, of course. 
But uh, that's kind of funny. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I think they're watching too many movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they may no, be. No, you know, I, I, I think it's a great idea. It's just, you know, whoever gets there first, whoever colonizes first, I would imagine um, it, it could be um, uh, a polygon of uh, uh, countries, but if it's a single country that colonizes there first, it would probably, I would imagine they would institute the uh, legal, you know, the constitution and stuff like that, you know, there. But uh, really that, I, I understand why they're doing it because, you know, how do you, it's kind of like when you go out in the ocean in a boat, you know, like a lot of laws don't pertain to uh, the open seas. And this is kind of like the same thing. And of course they have to be uh, careful. There could be tyranny. There could be uh, there could be slavery, you name it. Anything could happen when mm -hmm. it's an open government settling, you know, kind of like uh, when they came over here, uh, you know, to America from from England, uh, the early settlements, the Roanoke and then, you know, the pilgrims and stuff like that. You know, they it was uh, under the rule of, uh, uh, you know, King George and, and uh, you know, Queen Anne and, you know, on and on. But still, it's. Uh, you know, it, it's it's something that, you know, there's going to they're going to want their independence, of course, uh, if the, it's colonized for generations. And uh, they really, you know, having something set in place or at least a guideline is not a bad idea. And yeah, even though it gonna, is a little silly. Well, they're going to have to. Yeah, they'll have to um, enforce their own laws. And uh, especially, well, I guess it depends on the technology, how quickly we would be able to get there from Earth if we had to go lay the smack down, <laughs> you know, right. and restore order. And uh, so who knows what the technology may be. But interestingly enough, this isn't a story I had written about, but something I had seen. And I included a picture of Robert Bigelow uh, in my uh, story about this uh British uh, Interplanetary Society meeting because he may be the first person to have a lunar base. And there is news this wow. week about how close he is. So Bigelow, of course, is a UFO enthusiast. He's created mm -hmm. a lot of controversy in this field, a lot of silly conspiracy theories. And I don't mind saying that because a lot of speculation from people who don't know uh, what they're talking about, quite frankly. But uh, seeing as how I was there, that's why it makes me so frustrated. I was involved with MUFON and this whole partnering up with Bigelow. But Bigelow, uh, and there's plenty of interviews. He's very close to George Knapp. He's a guy who's really interested in UFOs, uh, which is pretty cool. And then he spent some money to do some investigation. Uh, the great Skinwalker Ranch, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. mystery we wouldn't know about if it wasn't for him. But anyway... He uh, bought this this inflatable unit system from NASA. So NASA was looking into doing these inflatable units. You take them into space and you uh, then inflate them and, and then you have a habitable uh, living space. Uh, there's a story talking about how the problem back then when NASA was trying this is they didn't have the technology. So these things weren't very strong. Uh, so any little particle could break through them. Uh, so that's why they ditched it. And Bigelow ended up buying the whole idea and further developing wow. it. And now the fabrics are so much stronger, like Kevlar, that they um, 
the story says are even stronger than like a hard metal type of case that they use. So mm. they're going to be doing this. They're going to be having one of these, you know, you can just scrunch it up just like an inflatable tent, you know, or something. You can put it into a rocket, fly it up there and inflate it. And they're going to be doing that in the next SpaceX launch. It's been delayed um, because of, you know, the SpaceX rocket exploding um, recently. Mm-hmm. But in the next one, one of these inflatable units is going to go up and it's going to be a unit for the ISS. So this will be the first, you know, real test for a Bigelow aerospace inflatable unit to be attached and put into use. He's flown some up there kind of proof of theory previously. So there are a couple floating out there. Uh, they're not doing anything. They had cameras inside of them, and they put a lot of stuff in there. I think they even had a contest where you could put stuff in there to have float around in space. But mm-hmm. um, that's about it. So this is really cool. Now, the next step, and he's already in talks with NASA about this, is to have a lunar base. But he's dealing with legal issues, too, because his problem is, hey, guys, we have to figure out ownership when it comes to the moon because I'm getting really close to being able to do this, but I got to figure out where I can put my lunar base because I don't know, you know, I have to figure out who owns the land. And I need to, you know, just like any developer right. needs to secure really the is, land. That really is. Uh, I can't imagine the, if there's interplanetary lawyers or someone studying that right now. But the one thing that there are. There are. Wow. I didn't know that. I was just mm-hmm. saying that. Now, um, the one thing you have to think about, though, there's no real shielding um, from radiation. You know, that's that's an issue on both, uh, especially Mars, but, uh, well, both the Mars and the moon, you know, against... Uh, right. Yeah. Well, that's why they have to wear the suits, and that's why the materials of the, the buildings that they have have to be uh, hold their own shielding. Um, so you're right. That's a concern, and I guess that is one of the concerns. Now it's possible with these inflatable units where something like that wasn't possible before. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, the future's coming right up on us, smacking us in the face. Yeah. Exciting, huh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, whatever, before we move on, what yeah, yeah. happened to the uh, those all those people that volunteered to go on a one-way trip to Mars? Oh, yeah, Mars One. Yeah, because I've been taking a look at that. I thought it was foolish to begin with personally. Mm. Um, It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the plan is you take a a dozen people, you fly them into space and uh, to Mars on a one-way trip, and they have to live the rest of their lives out there in these small little units, you know, like the size of this conference room. These people have to live and work together. Just psychologically, that's not even possible. I mean, let's say you and your girlfriend, uh, that's maybe a little different, but can you imagine being locked up even with the person you care about and love the most? Um, Mm -hmm. Like me and my girlfriend probably would have a problem after a couple hours. No, just kidding. Uh, Hopefully we could last a few days, if not a couple of weeks, getting too upset with each other. You know, in one, by the way, in one tiny little room. Can you imagine that? Mm. I mean, let alone someone you that annoys the heck out of you. And I love people. I, I am a positive person. I think all people have goodness in them. I smile and say hi to everybody I meet. I like people, but I don't like being around, uh, 
that many people for a very long period of time, uh, like, you know, especially people that annoy me, I can't take it for, you know, half an hour I start to get annoying. So, yeah, I just do not see how this could ever work. Anyway, uh, a lot of people that first thought it was a scam, then they started talking to uh, aerospace companies and uh, about developing some different things. And some of the aerospace companies said, well, they have some decent ideas. But now it's kind of fallen on all apart because they ran out of money. And even worse, their candidates have been coming forward and saying they're wanting us to give them our royalties when we do interviews and they want us to give them money. So the people that are the, the that are supposed to be getting trained to be there out there in space, they're making them give them money because they're out of money. All they had money for was this kind of initial marketing push and they actually have no money to develop anything. So it seems like that's pretty much dead in the water. Their mm. whole plan was to fund the whole thing by making it all a reality TV show. Right. Yeah, I do remember that. So, which and is really bizarre. Really bizarre, and they were they were mar- matching up the monies that the Super Bowl makes to show. Look how much the Super Bowl makes, which is like the number one watched show in the mm. world, you know. And oh, we're gonna get as much funding and and viewership as they do, which certainly is not guaranteed. Um, this would be Big Brother in space, and I don't know that. I think a lot of people are over Big Brother, but uh, it's been really interesting. I'm interested about how the people who, who applied to go up into space, some of these were really scientists and stuff, some very serious people. And it just boggles my mind that you would want to leave behind everything, all your family and everything. I can understand the want to explore, but shoot, that's probably going to get old after at least maybe yeah. – Let's say best case scenario, and it's fun for a year. Then what? <laughs> well, you know, someone is going to do it. There is, it is going to happen eventually. Yeah. But yeah, they will definitely. Uh, you just think of all the explorers, and uh, you know their dedication they had. You know, sometimes they'd be at sea for four years or something like that. Yeah. You know, or or think of uh, Lewis and Clark. You yeah, know, but they were exploring. I mean, you and you can walk amongst the flora and fauna. You know, you don't have to be in this tiny little capsule. I think the ocean faring is, is a be, is a closer example, though. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, someone will do it. It's just a matter. Yeah, of Yeah, you're right, and and it might be Bigelow. Crazy enough, <laughs> and wild as that is, it might be a fellow UFOer. That does this first. It might be. I mean, it's looking really good. If Bigelow, uh, his test of this ISS unit uh, is successful, he might be the first guy to have a, a, a base on the moon. Guarantee there'll be a casino in there. Yeah. Well, he wants a hotel. He want that's one part mm. of it. He wants to do a hotel. That's his wow. thing. That's how he got his money. Is doing hotels. Crazy, huh? Pretty neat. I wow. think that ought to be. Yeah. Interesting, and and it is so mind-boggling that it's someone in the UFO field that might be doing it. That's that's pretty cool. Really, wild stuff. Well, we've talked a lot about some news and some goings-ons uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, thank you for your patience, Martin, with me being sick and being available to do this uh, this morning. Oh sure. Let's go ahead and talk to Robert and Morgan. 
I am so super excited to talk to these guys because uh, as, I, as some of you may know, well, I, I kind of mentioned it in the last show that we would have some cool story coming up. And that cool story had to do with these two gentlemen. So um, earlier I had mentioned this Puerto Rico case and uh, the group of researchers who uh, put that report together. And I have two of those researchers with me. Robert Powell and Morgan Bial. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Hi, Alejandro. All right. So we have a lot to get to, um, no doubt. And I think just to get it out of the way uh, at first, and maybe Morgan, I think you could address this because you were probably the one who, who made this call. Um, Morgan, you are a state director for MUFON in Florida. And Robert, you are the director of research for MUFON. Uh, you have another – you have – most of the members uh, of the SCU, I think all but one maybe even, are work with MUFON or have positions at MUFON. However, this was not a MUFON investigation. Uh, why is that? Well, I mean, think about it. A lot of us actually are part of multiple organizations. Some of us have worked with NARCAP, some work with NICAP, uh, the current version. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're involved in so many different projects and different organizations, including MUFON. MUFON's a big part, obviously, in the volunteerism and the work that I do in Florida. But on occasion, uh, like in this case, um, the case wasn't really acquired through MUFON's database. Rather, it was a friend of a friend and so and a colleague. And so, you know, that's kind of what the direction we took it. It was actually kind of a last minute, not really a last minute, but we really didn't think about how we were going to formulate a think tank uh, to sort of present this case. And so we came up with the idea of the SCU as sort of a think tank or a, uh, a coalition or, you know, a, a hub, so to speak, for people to come together and um, analyze cases. Mm -hmm. So I think you said also at one point the witnesses had – were they hesitant – to have this case as, as part of a larger organization? Yeah, um, there was a lot of hesitation in databasing the case. They didn't want their information out there, their name, their location. So they were very, very hesitant also because they are, you know, they, they're afraid to lose their career, uh, either that or through ridicule. So they were very hesitant, very, very protective of their identity. And so there were a lot of things I couldn't guarantee them in any, any respect as far as, you know, getting involved in a larger scale investigation. Uh, so he wanted to keep it to a, a small group of people in the beginning anyway, mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, his identity was protected. And, and so at the time, uh, this was back in 2013, we really didn't have anything set up, you know, organizationally uh, to handle this sort of identity protection. So what we did is we just compartmentalized it to a set few people who actually knew his identity. Um, and, uh, and that's how we went about the case from that point on. So it was basically a case of a friend of a friend that that individual um, had some pretty heavy demands on, on keeping um, his identity uh, from the public. Right. So, and we'll get into the radar in a minute, but I guess I have a couple more questions for Morgan because uh, you were there kind of when this whole thing started because it started in Florida, right? You said a friend of a friend and essentially um, 
the source, we'll call him, I think that's what you mm -hmm. call him in the report, had approached one of your investigators who happens to be, and this is really exciting, I mean, I think uh, a famous Cuban-born, you know, fantasy writer. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, a, 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 I guess a non, or a fiction writer, uh, mainly in, um, you know, Hispanic countries. Uh, she is now starting to publish in the U.S., but... Um, yeah, no, Diana Chaviano, she's uh, an excellent investigator, too. Um, and I've worked with her for a couple of years uh, here in Florida. And uh, she just uh, gave me a call one day and said, hey, I got a friend and, you know, I don't know what to do with this. Um, and I asked, you know, hey, just have him, you know, fill out a case on uh, MUFON's database and go ahead and report it. And she's like, well, I don't think he's very comfortable with that. I think he, you need to come here in person and see this for yourself. And then maybe we can talk to him directly. And uh, that's sort of how the ball started rolling. Mm -hmm. So she had the video and you were able to go there and check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, OK, a small light in the sky or yeah. something and, and I'm like, uh, well, you know, I get over there and I, and I watch it. You know, I don't actually in the beginning of it, I really don't think much of it. I pretty much go along the lines of most uh, skeptical believers or what have you, um, and I think balloon, I think something floating in the wind, and I continue to watch it, and there's some just peculiar characteristics with the video that, you know, transpire, and that's when I said, well, I think this needs to have a serious look rather than just me, you know, like a YouTube video, looking at a YouTube video and just judging it. I just went ahead and said, well, let's put it to the test. Let's find out what this is. Mm -hmm. So, Robert, I think this is an important part where some people have asked, you know, you guys did a FOIA to get some radar information. And, of course, there's, uh, well, what I consider a famous and one of the other best pieces of work in ufology is when you did, you know, a FOIA and got some radar information with the Stephenville case. But uh, you did a FOIA. You got some radar information. And some people have asked, well, you had the video. Why did you need the radar well, as soon as I saw the video, the reason I wanted the radar data was, one, to see if we could pick up the object uh, using FAA radar uh, that was available in that area. And we got that FAA radar, actually, by requesting it through the U.S. Air Force because they have access to all FAA radar through the Joint Surveillance System. And then the second reason I wanted it was because I wanted to verify that this was not a hoax. In other words, I wanted to know that that plane was located where where it was at as those latitude longitude coordinates show on the video. Mm -hmm. I wanted to verify that. Yeah, and which so seems really important because, I mean, if uh, movie makers can hoax, you know, this telemetry like in the video that you see. Um, so... I, that's why I was kind of surprised when some people were like, why did you even waste your time with a FOIA? Well, obviously it's important for these two reasons that you've talked about. And with that, that radar information, you could verify this wasn't a hoax. That plane was where the telemetry on the video says it was. Exactly. Not only was that correct, but when the, uh, you know, the indication the pilot sees an object to his left, the radar data and everything lines up with everything the, uh, we got regarding the pilot from the secondary witness. So mm -hmm. that, that really nailed down that it was a real video. And from that point in time, uh, we really worked on 
okay, exactly what can we glean from the video, you know, in terms of what does the video tell us? Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you about this. This is something that you had mentioned uh, to me before. You said you, your FOIA was to the Air Force, and the Air Force then provided you with FAA radar data um, because the Air Force has access to that. Um, I guess my question is twofold. Uh, first, if you would have requested to the FAA, would they have given you that information or not, do you believe? And second, you said something about how uh, this sort of thing that, that happened with you all won't happen again. Yeah, um, to your first question, uh, the FAA, especially on the eastern uh, region of the FAA, it's very difficult to get information from them. There's lots of delays. Plus, the FAA says after 45 days goes by, we can't give you the information anymore. Hmm. And more than 45 days had gone by. So our only option really was to go to the U.S. Air Force to get the FAA data. And I've always tried to use that resource sparingly, mm -hmm. but it, we came to find out that this request was actually the last request, as far as I know, that the U.S. Air Force is honored. Because now if you send them a request, what they will say is they don't do that anymore, that if you want that information, go talk to the FAA. Wow. So that's pretty – I mean – it's great that you guys got in there and were able to get that FAA radar data because without that data, you would have had no radar data, right? Exactly, because the FAA won't give it to you after 45 days. Mm -hmm. Frustrating. So that's surprising. So that was a stroke of luck. Um, and, you know, I wanted to touch on here, I guess, just before I forget something Morgan had said. And I know you guys probably feel the same, and it's just kind of funny because it's something I wanted to bring up. And... Uh, and I guess Morgan kind of um, encapsulated kind of that feeling. Um, what has a bit surprised me is just how combative a lot of people are, at least a lot of the more careful, some of the uh, allegedly more careful researchers are out there, um, to the report. And I guess it's kind of that sentiment because I have the same thing. I'm sure you do, Robert. Whenever you hear about a UFO video, the first thing you do uh, when someone says, hey, I have this great video, the first thing you do is roll your eyes. Yep. At least that's the first thing I do because it's like, yeah, sure you do. Because 99.9% yep, .9 of the time, it's a bug or a bird or it's something we've seen before. Exactly. And I guess that must be how some of the people uh, are feeling out there who have uh, not embraced this report as much as I thought they might. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, a, uh -huh. go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I see, I, I see that almost every day now after our release, and it's kind of back and forth. I, you know, I, I try to explain to people that look, we're not saying it is something. We're just saying this is something worth our time to look at. We're not claiming to be right about everything. We're not claiming that it's an extraterrestrial aircraft from some other planetary system. We're not saying it's. You know, we're not we're not actually identifying it as anything that we believe it is. It's just that we look at the data. This is our opinion based off of our analysis. We could be wrong. We could be right. We could be wrong and right at the same time with all the various things that we have analyzed. I think people are jumping. Uh, you know, they're so used to 
to jumping at these types of things. I mean, we just got out of the, uh, you know, the slide gate, as they call it. And I'm sorry to mention it on your show. Again. No, that, um, it's but, really but important. Yeah, no, it is. And we just came out of that. And so now everybody's on the defensive, right? And, right. You know, we hate it. Our whole intention of releasing this to the public wasn't to make a big, you know, extravaganza about it. Our main goal is to get it to other researchers, other scientists to really dig into it and see if there's anything to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not saying that this is the, the best thing since sliced bread. And there's a lot of people saying that to us. And we're like, well, yeah, we know that. We know that it's not the best thing that's ever been out there. And, and, you know, I have people say, well, why are you wasting your time if it's not the greatest thing ever? I was like, well, why not? I don't see Well, wait, I, I'll <laughs> stop you here for two points. First, I disagree with you. I think it is a really yeah. good one. <laughs> Second of all, uh, the report does say it's, you know, one of the conclusions in this report is it's one of the best cases. Um, it, it is. I mean, I, I get it. It is one of the better you know, videos that we really have had, especially if it is determined to be an unknown, which we did in our paper. It's just that I think people are overreacting on both sides of the fence, which is okay. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's, it's part of this field. And, and people think that this is just exclusive to the UFO field or whatever. It's not. You can right. be in any field in science and you're going to have these heated battles, you know, over cures of cancer treatments and, right, and right. or biology studies. I mean, you're going to have a bunch of differences of opinions. It's yeah. Just real, it's just the way it is. And I, I do want to, just for people real quick, I'm sure uh, prac- my listeners, I'm sure, are bored to death with Roswell slides because we've talked about it. But just to catch people up, uh, if they aren't aware of it, is that, you know, there were researchers uh, recently who said they had these pictures of an alien and that this is probably the alien from Roswell. Once those pictures were publicly released, uh, which took a long time, and they alluded to them, and when they released them, uh, they were not very exciting. In fact, people immediately said that looks like a mummified body, which it turned out to be. Um, and better research was done after those pictures were released, and it would. But that group of people, like you said, released them with a with big fanfare. And they were very defensive, and they were not open to the research that others had done, which is uh, certainly different than the sentiment that you all have shared. You guys have been very open. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the whole point of our release, why we created the website. You know, we want people to review. We want people Mm -hmm. to sit there and tell us what they think, especially if they're experts in their field. We want to hear your opinions. Mm -hmm. That's what science is about. It's about exchanging that idea trying to repeat the same analyses, finding out if there's things that are correct and things that could be fixed. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's the whole part of the process. And I think right. people aren't used to that in ufology. They're used to defending and, and fighting each other and debating each other about something, either it's black or white. We're saying, look, we accept other alternative hypotheses, and it's just that. It's a hypothesis, people. We're not saying this is it, this is the thing, this is something else from somewhere else. It, it just is unknown to us based on our analysis right so um we'll get more into some of the feedback that you all have gotten especially the more pertinent feedback from experts and what's going on there is really interesting but getting back into the sighting i guess we should start off next with uh what this the source um who the source was and at least of what we can share about the source (laughs) and um, what the source uh, reported as far as the sighting. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously the source, uh, we, this is one of the limitations of our report, and we totally recognize that, that, uh, that the source wants to be completely anonymous, and, and we will, uh, you know, we'll get that to him. We understand. Um, but, you know, the source essentially witnessed or knows the witnesses um, and works with the witnesses, and, and so it's, it, it's kind of a direct contact uh, between those proxies, I, I guess you could call it, where we're able to determine information by Q&A uh, over a long period of time. And um, I actually got to meet our source uh, in, in person, face-to-face, -face, so I know the person's a real person. Uh, you know, I know a lot about that individual, and, and you know, including career line and, and everything else. And so... Uh, and that individual I, did not want to be identified, nor did they want their employer to be identified. However... Um, you all, like you said, were, were able to meet the source and you uh, were able to verify this person's identity uh, and their employment and that they would have been in a position to know what they knew. And what they knew is that this person spoke with the pilot of this uh, aircraft that uh, recorded the video, correct? That's absolutely correct. Um, and so... You know that's that's where the video came from, and that's also where our testimony or our information came from when we began our investigation. Mm -hmm. Now this part does get a little bit difficult in that um, it's an anonymous witness, which often is something that you would you know kind of uh, blow off. But uh, given like what Robert had said, the radar data from a third party verifies everything that your source had told you lends credibility um, plus people are, are somewhat uh, needing to uh, trust you all um, which I do personally but you know um, understandable other people may be skeptical um, that you all did do your due diligence to uh, verify this person um, is who yeah. they said they were um, yes. Robert, did you have concerns about the source, and uh, if so, what eased those concerns? Uh, <clears throat> myself, I really did not have concerns with the source, Alejandro, because once I verified the video was not a hoax, uh, the main value to me in the entire investigation was was the video itself. Once I knew mm -hmm. it was a real video, now the you know the witness being able to tell us. Uh, what he saw is always helpful because that helps confirm, you know, what's in the video and, and helps in the analysis. But the video, to me, pretty much stands on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. Now, did the source um, ask the witness, the pilot, to speak to you all directly? Uh, yes, early on, it was uh, conversations going back and forth. And uh, I think at that point, they were still uneasy about directly communicating with us. Um, I'm sure in the future we could probably arrange it, but at that point, no. So regarding the sighting, what did the, the what did, what were you told um, took place? Well, um, essentially the timeline was that they, they took off and I, and I think uh, Robert, you've been looking over this portion of the data more than I have, but if you want to go ahead and explain that um, on, on the timeline of what was uh, witnessed and, and what the data actually says. Well, yeah, uh, basically the plane took off at 9.16 p.m. local time, and as the pilot is looking out his left window, and, and he's, you know, he's already left the runway, he sees an object 
Um, it's a pinkish red light to his left, which is to the north northwest of where the plane is at that time. And that's also the same direction that we picked up the radar blimps. And so he, he circles around and then comes back over the airport again. And when he does his second circling point is when he actually turns on his uh, thermal video because that's when the object turns off um, the pinkish light. Um, you know, whether that whether the object intentionally turns off the pinkish light or it just goes off, there's no way to know. But that's when he turns on his thermal video. Mm -hmm. And that's when he started getting video. And we should note those those uh, radar contacts you're referring to um, were captured uh, before they took off. Uh, correct. So those and then uh, maybe you could explain what uh, those unknown radar hits were. Well, yeah, let me start off by saying these unknown radar hits, they're to the northwest of the airport, about two miles, so they're not very far away. They're picked up by a radar site that's at an elevation of three and a half thousand feet in the, on the far east end of the island. So that radar site's 90 miles away, but it's long-range radar. And it picks up at 9 p.m. Uh, every time it's sweeping, it's picking up an object in that area. Now, it's not unusual for radar to pick up an unknown object and then it just disappears and you never see it again. It's just kind of, uh, you know, an occasional blimp, whatever causes it to happen. But, but what was unusual was that every time the radar was sweeping, it was picking up an unknown object in that area northwest of the airport. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I mm -hmm. felt that that was, um, you know, Something there's something to it. And we don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. For how long was that uh, that target being picked up? That went on from 9 p.m. to 9:12 p.m. Mm -hmm. and then the target pretty much disappears. And then four minutes later, the uh, aircraft takes off. Mm -hmm. And that's about the time that they saw the light. Correct. Mm -hmm. So what did they see? So once the uh, the light turned off. I mean, everything that they, all the data from there is on the video of this object, um, seemingly uh, flying over the area. I mean, now that you know, or at least once you know where it was, uh, if you look at the background, you could see what apparently uh, is the airfield uh, airport. This thing flies over. Uh, twice and then f apparently flies behind some trees and then into the ocean um, and that <laughs> I mean so what you guys had to do next was to determine um, I guess what was your feelings for your next step what to approach to to an analyze the video um, well, I mean, the, the next thing we did on the to analyze the video was the first thing was we looked at all the longitude latitude values, the distance values, all the uh, numerical values that are right there on the video screen. And so we basically plotted all the movements of the aircraft. We we split the video into over 7000 individual frames. There's 30 
frames for every second of video. And so we, we did frame by frame analysis. Um, we enlarged uh, the frames so that down to the pixel level. I mean, we did pixel level analysis of the object. Um, we analyzed um, other objects in the video, such as uh, cows, uh, the asphalt, the trees, uh, because those all gave us clues because we could determine their temperature and to try to also determine the temperature of the object. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that's distinct on this object is it has a definite thermal signature. It is not uh, the same temperature as the ambient. It is significantly warmer than the ambient. Mm -hmm. So we know that we're not dealing with something like a balloon, which is right dealing with ambient temperature. Um, it's something that has its own power source. Mm -hmm. And it was a thermal system, um, not like night vision. Uh, this is uh, something that is picking, picking up heat differences. That, that is correct. This was not, it was not a night vision system. It was not in the near infrared. This was in what's called medium range infrared, which is between three and five microns. Mm -hmm. And in that range, what it's basically picking up is thermal emissions from an object. Mm -hmm. So you also found out the type of plane, a DHC-8 uh, turboprop. Um, actually, there have been other sightings I've written about where they've in a Dash 8, which is the, uh, what this plane mm -hmm. was. Um, uh, pretty common, I guess, for a, a prop plane. Uh, but... During this time, while you guys are analyzing, what's interesting is that uh, the video somehow got leaked. And there was a, what, a version out there from a Puerto Rican UFO researcher who put a really low resolution. It was a video of a screen showing the video. Um, and that caused kind of some confusion. And, uh, of course, you guys kept silent the whole time, even though we were writing about it because at the time – I didn't know that was what you guys were working on, but um, in that you know confusion, then it's people kind of were uh, by looking at these low resolution videos decided that this object could have been a balloon, and at the time, you know, not knowing any better, I thought perhaps uh, that seemed like a logical. Um, explanation in that you have even though the object looks like it's going very fast uh, it does look like perhaps a plane is going around the object which would make the background look like it's going very fast when actually it was not so that seemed like something plausible um, was that did that cross your minds at first and how did you prove uh, that was not the case well, I'll, yes, I'll explain. Yeah, I'll explain my thought in the beginning, and that was exactly my thought when I first saw it. Um, you know, again, I was prejudging before I looked at the old video, and I'm sure that kind of happened with this low res imagery uh, that was being leaked out um, after we had already started our investigation. So, yeah, I don't blame people for for thinking that. I mean, it's you know, but it's what makes it significant is the fact that it's thermal imaging and it's not just some light in the sky or, or something along those lines. But go ahead and explain, um, Robert, the, uh, you know, what you're going to explain. Well, well the, fir the first thing we did is we looked at the 
object or the video has a laser rangefinder on it. And we looked at, because we were looking at these frame by frame very carefully, it became evident to us early on that the rangefinder was giving the location of the land, not the location of the object. And so we knew that the object could be anywhere along a, lo a line of sight between the aircraft and the ground. And there was no way to know its exact location. And so what we did is we started looking for specific times in this video when, for example, the object went behind a telephone pole at one point in time, went behind trees at another point in time. And then we enlarged those frames and we looked at them at the pixel level to make a determination of whether or not we believed it went in front of or behind an object. So once we did that, that allowed us to know the exact three-dimensional location of the object on the ground. And, and this, when we can do that, is mostly during the latter half of the video. Mm -hmm. And it, that's the point in time where we were able to calculate, okay, based on that, we know this is the the range error. It's somewhere between this distance and this distance. And if that's the distance, then this is, you know, we can then calculate the speed of the object and the size of the object. Mm -hmm. So we looked uh, at the possibility of a slow moving object. But if you look at, at the object as it goes frame by frame and across short distances of time, you can't really explain it with something that moves at the speed of a balloon because the winds that day at ground level, ground level never exceeded 13 miles an hour and up to 3,200 feet, the maximum speed was 18 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So for this to have been a balloon, it would have had to have been very close to the aircraft to show the amount of movement it did. And, and when you do the lines of sight and the distance it covers at that point in time, your balloon has to be going upwards of around 30 miles an hour, which mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, there's no way you, and it changes direction. I mean, it goes against the wind and perpendicular to the wind. So, you know, you can't go 30 miles an hour when the wind speeds nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. And then for the portion where it goes underwater, um, I mean, even with the low resolution, people were saying it looks like it's going underwater and coming out of water um, because that's what the video, it does look like that in the video. Um, if it were to be going under the water, uh, that would mean that uh, it is at the surface, so the rangefinder would be accurate in its distance, so you guys could calculate that. But um, it also looks like to me that really, even when I watch the high-resolution video that you guys have posted, that you can see some splashes, too. Yeah, uh, um, in the report, um, Carl Paulson did the work on this. Uh, there does appear to be a very minute splash mm -hmm. as it goes into the water. Uh, it's very minor. But, I mean, that, you know, we could, there are drones, torpedoes, etc. that can do that. Um, but the thing about the water that was so interesting is that not only is it moving underwater at 80 miles an hour, which there are torpedoes, etc. that can do that, uh, the object comes out of the water at a high rate of speed. It, is, it slows down a little bit, so I think it's around, uh, this is from memory, about 50 miles an hour when it's coming out of the water. But 
that takes a lot of energy to have an object that can actually come out of the water on its own. Mm-hmm. And I'm not aware of anything that could do that. But even if there was, the part that you just, it's, I have no explanation for is when the object splits apart. Mm-hmm. Now, if, yeah, at the end of the video, it looks like it splits apart, or some people have speculated and even felt that another object comes and joins it. But you guys are sure that it's, or, or you feel that your analysis has demonstrated that it broke apart. Right. What we did is we did a uh, a frame by frame analysis of the video, and so we're and we're looking at individual pixels that make up the object, uh, each frame by frame. And the first thing we looked for is okay, did another object come out of the water and join it? There was no indication of that. What what we saw is actually the number of pixels, and this all occurred within one second. Within one second, the number of pixels increased and continued to increase. We have a graph on it. So it's not like right random machine machine noise from the video because then you would have a lot of pixels, fewer pixels, a lot of pic, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Instead, we get a constant increase in number of pixels. This heat zone inside the object began to grow also. And then it was like, the heat zones began to split apart until you had a point where it was like there were now two heat zones. And then the next thing you see is the object completely split apart. And then it, you can see in the video at, at regular magnification that the two objects are traveling next to each other. And that goes on for about 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you have something like... Um, a missile that breaks apart or any object that, that splits off, right? Uh, it's got to fall behind because it doesn't have its power source anymore. Mm-hmm. So to do this, your object has to be able to maintain two different power sources as it's splitting apart and so that you don't have any fallback of one half mm-hmm. you know, to the other half of the object. Ah, that makes sense. So, I mean... And I have like zero explanation. And when I, when I looked at it frame by frame, what it looked like, if you're familiar with mitosis and biology, that's exact, that's what it looked like. It looked like a cell hmm. that was beginning to split apart and then you had two cells. Yeah. No really weird. So, uh, that's the radar stuff. That's how you came to deter- your determination of its speed and its location. Now, really, there's a lot of people out there, at, like we talked about before, skeptics uh, like ourselves, I mean, um, who are looking at this. And, and at first, they're kind of thinking, oh, you know, um, it, they're sticking with this kind of balloon idea that um, that uh, despite, you know, uh, your demonstration of the location and the speed, uh, which to me looks to be very well done, um they're saying it's probably a balloon because uh, you can't tell how far this object was, um, that most likely it was closer to the plane and moving slowly. And they, a lot of guys don't even try to explain why they think that. But Mark D'Antonio, who, of course, we've had on the show quite a bit, you guys work with because he's a MUFON uh, photo yeah. analyst. He feels that it's due to anomalies in the thermal imaging system where objects can kind of um, 
disappear disappear on the system due to kind of problems with the system. Um, and so when it appears to be going behind objects or into the water, it's not really doing that. Um, I, I, he still hasn't responded to my question completely when I asked, well, why does it seem to only be doing this when it's going behind trees or by the water? Otherwise, the entire time during the flight of this object, like you said, Robert, it's very distinct. It's a very distinct um, target that's very dark, that is moving across, and, and only when it appears to, and it's by trees, that does it fade out like it would if it goes behind trees. Luckily now, um, you all have gotten a hold of uh, this FLIR expert who um, works, uh, he's a defense contractor, he works on these exact sort of systems, and he says he agrees with you all that, uh, in fact, I talked to him directly and was asking him questions, and he was confused because he was like, there isn't that sort of problem with these systems. The object is very distinct at one point, um, and then when it disappears, it's because it's going behind other objects. That's why. So he seems very much like you do, that it did go behind other objects and into the water, which is really cool because, you know, this is an expert who comes uh, to the table afterwards who is confirming what you all said. Um, how do you all feel about, uh, I mean, about some of the skepticism, uh, the balloon theory. I mean, has it made you have double thoughts at all? Has it made you think that maybe there is something missing in your report, or, or how have you felt about that? Let, let me comment quickly, and then I'll let Morgan comment. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't have a problem with someone if they have a balloon theory or if they think there is a anomaly that occurs in the video. But I'd like to see the proof and the evidence, not – well, maybe it's an anomaly or uh, maybe a cosmic ray went through that day and popped out a cell. I mean, they need to have – there's no point in doing all this conjecturing. They need to do the science behind it, and, mm -hmm. and that's the part that really bothers me. Take, take for example, when the object right breaks into two pieces, right, and you have two parts of it. And so you, you want to say, oh, it, it, it's a reflection or, or, oh, it must be an anomaly. But then, a mirage, I think is the word that was a mirage. But then one half of the of the uh, reflection or mirage starts moving away from the other half of the re reflection. And then if it's an anomaly, when that other half goes into the water, for some reason, the other half of the anomaly decides to stay there. I mean, I my big gripe is just I have no problem with these kind of things if if you have some reasoning and some evidence behind it, but to just to throw out uh, conjectures on what might happen is not science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think what we're trying to promote here is people to produce their work. If they believe, just like Mark D'Antonio, if you believe that there's something that it is, and in fact, I, I hate to use that word, but, you know, even Mark used it as well. If you if they believe that it's this, it's not about belief. It's that our data is telling us that it's this. Is that let's see your data and your calculations, your you know your methods that you used to determine um, your your hypothesis. And again, I reiterate, it's just a hypothesis. And somebody was trying to 
you know, the, a lot of people try to, you know, uh, you know, instruct you on what science is, and and I tell them, no, uh, you, you you practice scientific method in many different forms. Just show your work, show your analysis. It, you know, sure, alternative hypotheses. That's part of this process, and we're okay about that. And I think we were even told that we were being stubborn about our conclusion, I think, in one of the major um, yeah. you know, <laughs> magazines in, in the UK. And you know, to me, that's just ridiculous. Uh, we're completely open to alternative um, hypotheses. We may not agree, <laughs> but but we're totally open to that. And, and But we just tell people, just like Robert's frustration and any scientist's frustration, just show your work. Don't just snipe out your idea and tell us we're wrong. Show us. Prove mm-hmm. to us that we're wrong. We'd like to see it. And if we're wrong, we want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's just part of the process. What's great, though, uh, in the aftermath is that you do have this expert. And he says, you know, and, and I was able to look up his linked up and see his background. Very impressive background. This guy has the highest level of um, that you can have as far as maintenance of these sorts of systems. Uh, he says he's got thousands of hours looking at this sort of uh, video, and his uh, resume reflects that. And uh, he's very certain that, uh, you know, or he feels very strongly that you guys are right in your analysis. Um, and also, uh, he says the, the thermal signature doesn't fit for a balloon either, because uh, it's just too hot. It's too different that to be a balloon. So what's great is this expert opinion is agreeing with your analysis. Um, and other scientific organizations uh, have uh, given positive feedback as well. Um, NARCAP and 3AF, the French organization, has been very positive. I don't think they've, uh, they've uh, felt or expressed any concern that I know of. Um, the unfortunate part is these guys haven't come forward to publicly say that you've done a great job. I, I think that it's in the works. And uh, like this guy I'm talking about, this this FLIR expert, unfortunately, he fears that, uh, you know, if his name is associated with a UFO case, it may hurt him in the future when he, he's maybe being reviewed for a security clearance or something like that. So people mm-hmm. are reticent to come forward, and that's... Uh, yeah. becomes uh, a bit frustrating. I mean, I can completely understand their concerns, mm-hmm. but it is frustrating. But incidentally, uh, Rich Hoffman, who is part of your group, also works in defense, and he has security clearances. And thus far, uh, and he's been a state director in Alabama for many, many years. He's been involved with MUFON, I think, for decades. And thus far, he hasn't suffered any negative no. uh, problems as far as I know. Well, yeah, and as that pertains to the, even to their, our witnesses, um, you know, I mean, as far as it went, they took it to their superiors, and and really, with their superiors, then took it to Air Force Intelligence, according to the witnesses, and and they shot it back a couple of weeks or a week or so later. Uh, they were he wasn't certain of the date, they, you know, the period of time, but they, it did come back, and they just said they didn't know, and gave them a civilian phone number to a ufo organization wow and, and 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 so they were confused you know they're still confused uh with this is like well is it okay now to talk about it i mean do they you know did since giving us this number does that make it okay for us to report it now and it's kind of they're not sure 
and so I think, you know, as you, you know, uh, uh, you know, Alejandro, you're familiar with a lot of the history of this phenomenon and the reporting. It went from complete ridicule and losing your job to today where it's confusion over whether it's okay to talk about it or not. People mm-hmm. are still, people are still scared to talk about it because they don't want to lose their career and you can't blame them. And yeah. so that makes our process much harder. Just like another, we have a thermal image, uh, engineer who works for a major aerospace company. And uh, other than the the, the, the the other expert you mentioned, and same thing with him. He's like, yeah, I'd love to, guys, but I can't have my name out there. I, I you know, I don't think it would be right for my career. So it's, but he'd be willing to help us in any questions we have. But again, it's, it's very difficult when we're dealing with a very public case to, to get that research on paper. What say, did, hey, yeah. yeah. What did the second person tell you? Well, I mean, the second person had told me, and, um, you know, he's very knowledgeable in these systems. He says that, you know, it's, it's definitely, in his opinion, not a balloon. Um, he says he's not sure what it is. He's perplexed. Um, the, uh, argument about the mirage is, is also not true with that specific system. Um, it does create what's called a, um, uh, I, well, some people call it mirage, but it does create some sort of vertical line anomaly. Um, and if you look into the video and you look at directly at the high temperatures of the uh, jet aircraft sitting on the tarmac, you'll see that that um, that anomaly. But that's the only um, you know problematic anomaly with that system, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't create du- dual images like that. And uh, especially in those circumstances. You know, that's what the other guy said, too, is that yeah. that reflection um, hypothesis is, is wrong because uh, that uh, it's possible that heat can be reflected off a of very shiny metal, he said, but not off of water. So uh, it's not a reflection. And so that's exciting now. We have two uh, people that are very familiar with these systems who are agreeing with your analysis, just unfortunately neither um, yeah. of them can come forward by name. Yeah, yeah Alejandro, I mean, the, the other thing is there were waves that day, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just another case of, oh, maybe it was a reflection. I mean, I'd like to hear the explanation of how IR reflects off ocean waves, mm-hmm. you know, and holds an image. I mean, it's just... I, I don't understand why why they do that. Mm-hmm. I think I think some alternative hypotheses are reaching. I think people immediately uh, apply their biases to these cases. I mean, I told you my bias when I first looked at it. Everybody yeah. has a bias, but people need to learn how to check that and be able to test all the hypotheses rather than just accept one and try to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's not science. You need to accept and and work with all the hypotheses and then work through it and. Uh, that's what we have. Well, thank you. Thank goodness that you guys got the video and you got to, to speak to uh, people close to the video because I was at the same place. I was like, you know, OK, maybe it is a balloon and, and there's just some kind of weirdness with the system causing the what looks like the breakup, even though that looks really weird. And I was willing to move on. Not that I could do anything else anyway. But uh, that's why it's exciting. You guys got to do this analysis and, and what you found, because I'm sure um, when you all went into this, uh, you weren't necessarily uh, knowing you two. I know that you two are not the types to go into this and uh, with your mind made up and to 
to ignore data that's counter to what your belief is. Not yeah, at all. That's, yeah, that's yeah. So exactly. I want to touch on one other thing that you said though, because this is really interesting. Is that these guys said, and I want this is an aspect I wanted to talk about, is that it seems from some of the the information that's come out, and I know you guys struggled with uh, dealing with this. Like I talked about the low resolution video coming out. Um, you have an auxiliary witnesses section in your report that talk about some of these others, but it seems like people. People on the base were excited about this video um, and they thought it was mysterious. And so, like you said, and this is really interesting, they took it to their superiors who took it to Air Force Intelligence, who gave it back and said, here's the number to a civilian organization. I think then, because that's one of the weird things a lot of people have questioned. It doesn't look like this video went through the proper protocols to be released. But at the same time, these guys were kind of given the okay when they're given the video back and told, here's a number to a civilian organization. So weird. Yeah. yeah well, that, that's the first thought of my mind. And that's like, what? <laughs> and, and even, and that's the same attitude they had. They were just like, what do we do with this now? You know, it's like, uh, you know, the people that are supposed to be telling us what's going on, you know, you know, the, these guys, the pilots are border patrol. They're supposed to be protecting the borders. And they're like, what if this is a spy drone? What if this is something that's not ours? You know, what if it's another country's military hardware? But it's like, no one seemed to care. <laughs> it's uh-huh. kind of like, you know, everybody at the base thought it was really interesting. They were scared. They were excited. They they didn't know what was going on. And that's not the only thing that happened, Alejandro. See, a lot of things, people just see this narrow uh, incident. It, 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 there's a lot of other things, eyewitnesses of, of, of different things going on at that time. And we had witnesses in the tower who saw the whole thing happen. But they're not willing to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're, they affirm, they, they confirm that they knew about the incident, uh, but they weren't willing to cooperate with the investigation. And, you know, there was other witnesses off base that saw things. There was even another pilot who was driving back to the base who saw lights that shouldn't have been over the base at that time, at that altitude, um, that passed over uh, at low altitude. So there's a lot of things that have happened, you know, in that area during that time period. And um, it's just... You know, we're here in the United States, so we are limited. So we're hoping in the future this case develops and more people come forward and we're able to take their data and analyze it and add it to it, even the so-called rumored um, additional videos that may be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, part of our job as scientists and, uh, you know, investigators to look at all the claims and, and not just ignore it or throw it out because we're sitting here on YouTube or, you know, as I call uh, Facebook scientists and make a decision by, you know, putting up a few posts, we want to encourage people to either support or, you know, challenge um, our report, but produce your own white paper that will, you know, so we can compare notes, so we can repeat your analysis or vice versa. That's Mm -hmm. the whole point about this, and that's what we're trying to promote here as well. Yeah. Getting back to the excitement on the base, you know, one of the letters that uh, had been sent um, by someone in the know was to John Greenwald just like a month or two ago, not too long ago, uh, along with a high-resolution copy of the video. And it turns out you you uh, announced this in your report that, Morgan, you had also received a very – well, it looks like it's the same letter. It's very, very slightly different. Um 
And the letter seemed to be someone who was really excited. And this was someone in the know because before your report, um, everybody thought it was a helicopter that took this video because there was assumptions made online that that was the case. But in this letter, this guy came out and said it was a DHC-8. Uh, he named the exact sort of thermal imaging system. And he went so far as to say, this is proof that there are aliens yeah. in Puerto Rico in an alien base under the water near Puerto Rico. Um, and this person, in order to know that that much detail, you would think possibly is on the base or a friend to someone on the base. Um, I'm pretty certain that that individual is likely the same individual that was posting on YouTube, created a specific account to comment on the leaked videos um, and uh, continued to send mail out. They even, they even, I think this uh, anonymous individual, which is not our witness, and we asked our witness, is this you? And let it know, and I showed him the letters, and I said, are you sure this isn't you? Please tell us the truth. And he's like, absolutely not. I did not do this. And he says, I think I know who, though. Hmm. I have an idea. And so I started following that trail down, and, and this guy was, and I believe was another pilot on that base that flew wow. the same aircraft. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, and he retired not too long ago, so he's kind of hard to find now. But, um, yeah, he was working out. He was there as a Border Patrol, and uh, I believe that, that that guy who, you know, again, people say, oh, he said aliens and this and that. And I say, look, that's a witness, and he's an, that's his opinion. It has nothing to do with his testimony that he was able to identify this thermal system you know, that we had already identified independently by ourselves, and it hadn't been out in the public yet. Mm -hmm. No one else has ever released that. We knew about it beforehand, and this guy starts saying things that we found out on our own. And uh, that, that's when the, you know, the light bulbs went off, and it was like, this guy might be somebody that's in the inside at the time. And, um, you know, again, it, it's, it, it, yeah, it's circumstantial. It, it's an anonymous tipster. And, in fact, I got a personal email just like John did uh, from this individual named me in the email, and I don't know how he got my information or who gave it to him, but he he wrote an email directly to me. Um, the same thing with John. So it, 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 he was obviously there's enough excitement that was going on out at this this location at that time that people wanted answers. They mm. wanted to know what was going on because it wasn't just the one pilot or the set of four pilots, the two pilots and the two technicians in that aircraft that saw this event. There were other events that this guy names uh, that happened around that event or after that event. So there was a string of events which probably created this excitement of these leaks. And they were trying to figure out and find answers. Since they didn't get any answers from the official sources, they started, you know, searching elsewhere. And I think the leaks that you saw in Puerto Rico were part of that effort. Um, and I don't think that it was coordinated because I don't think they were all aware. They were all too afraid to really communicate an effort to tell somebody about it because they're afraid to lose their jobs. And so they were all doing it on their own, I think. And, um, you know, it could have been two, three, maybe even four individuals reaching out to the public. Mm -hmm. And that is something that, you know, your report is data standing on its own, uh, which is important in this field because, of course, um, uh, uh, we, there's a lot of anecdotal information out there. 
But uh, what a lot of people don't know is what you, you've just shared and I think don't realize, which is there are uh, there is anecdotal information that comes along with this that probably for, for better uh, was not in the report, uh, but uh, that, you know, the consensus, there was more than um, just your source. Uh, there were other people um, on the base or, or around this uh, that feel that this object is anomalous and strange. Um, mm -hmm. And your analysis uh, just supports uh, right. that idea. And I, I think something came up earlier where they were a few of us were talking back and forth with uh, NARCAP because they have an anonymous source too. And, you know, the thought was maybe our source is their source. And I don't think so because the way that I came across our source was totally indirect. And, mm -hmm. and had, you know, my source was had no intention of leaking it to the public. It was just him showing a friend a really cool video. Oh, really? That's exactly how it happened. And, and, and so it, it, we, we weren't approached. It was us approaching the person to, to get involved in some sort of effort. And that's when the ball started rolling. That's why I said this was a, a friend of a friend. This was totally casual when we came across the video. Mm. And our source was not seeking help or identification. He just shared it with somebody who just happened to be an investigator in this field. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when it started. So I, I think our guy's completely separate. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, we've got to wrap this up already. I knew the time would fly. Uh, but Robert, I want to ask you, um, out of everything, all of the, the input you've had thus far, uh, and you can tell me whether I'm wrong or right. It looks like the most credentialed people with expertise in these systems um, and in with expertise in engineering and, and all of these, uh, the fields that you would want to get feedback from are very supportive of your research and, and uh, what you found. Um, thus far, have you seen any, gotten any feedback that does give you pause that makes you want to uh, check into something more carefully? Well, you know, anytime anyone brings something up, we, we try to double check it. But uh, you're right. The, the best positive feedback we've been getting has been from individuals who are experienced with this type of equipment. And they all say, We've never seen anything like this. Can't be this. Can't be that. We have no idea what it is. So that's, you know, that's the positive. The, um, the other thing I, I just want to mention, uh, Alejandro is on this whole topic. You know, as all of us know, the U.S. government no longer investigates UFOs. So there's, there's no government organization that we know of that works on the UFO phenomenon, but there's also no help for us when we try to investigate, right? There's clearly military radar that's available. We're not, you know, we can't get access to that. There's tower logs that are available, and we can't get access to that. And none of this is like national security type of information. Um, so it, it's almost like... Um, there's these blinders on, and no one wants to investigate this phenomenon. But, mm -hmm. 
Enough on my soapbox. Well, you know what? That supports, though, what John Alexander says. John Alexander says it's like a hot potato. More than anything, even though he believes this to be the wrong policy or the wrong decision to make, uh, that a lot of these guys will be like, I don't want to deal with it. If it's an unknown, what can I do with it? That's just going to bring me too much heartache. Get it away. You know, get away from it as quick and as far as you can. Uh, that's what John Alexander says is the state of the military when it comes to this stuff. And uh, in this case, you know, and, and what you're describing seems to support that. I agree. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Great work. You know, we'll certainly be in touch with both of you all uh, going forward. But uh, really great work. I'm so excited about what you all have done. I think your report is better than I thought. Uh, than I, I knew it would be good, but it's really good. I think it's tight. Um, you know, there's been a lot of people beating it up and looking at it. But uh, your analysis is held up. And no one has, uh, you know, like you have said, provided data to dispute uh, your findings. A lot of people have said, oh, obviously, I can dispute this in, in no time. But they haven't done it yet, um, although there's people in process of trying to do that. So I think the next few days and maybe in the next few weeks, there'll be a lot more analysis coming out. Um, what are the next steps to kind of wait for that? Uh, we're, we're continuing to uh, work on the case, uh, the publicity that we've uh, obtained from the case has actually brought us uh, you know, the technician you talked about who's so familiar with FLIRS. Um, that came about because of us releasing this case. So we'll continue to work on the case and get more information. We're going to be working with the 3AF Sigma 2 group out of France. Uh, they've already provided us some feedback, which has been very valuable. And um, we're going back and forth with them in a scientific type of uh, joint ventures. So uh, I wish everyone could do it that way. Mm -hmm. And I should mention the 3AF uh, is a organization of engineers and aer aerospace engineers and the like uh, in France. And uh, they actually have a group that works on uh, UFO cases. And um, so they're the ones, this professional mainstream organization that uh, you've been in contact with. And uh, so far, I've been very positive about your report. Yes, I have. Do you want to add anything about uh, uh, what's coming up regarding this case, Morgan? Yeah, no, I, I really look forward to the back and forth with uh, scientific individuals uh, and credentialed uh, scientists. I think this will be a great development in scientific medical ufology, if you really want to call it that. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's just a matter of getting people together and start, you know, the process. And I'm just hoping that you know, people get the right idea of the reason why we're releasing this. We're not trying to make books. We're not trying to make fame. That wasn't our intent. And I think a lot of people reacted that we know personally uh, that way because they're so used to that, you know. Yeah. And we're trying to show a new light or rather a light that was there a long time ago that there is possibilities of conducting true analysis and even very technical. I think one of the the, the criticisms I got early on in my work with ufology is that I'm 
over technical or I'm too detailed. There's too much. I say there's never enough. The more detail, the moral analysis, if your report ends up being 400 pages, so be it. The more you put in there, the better. And, you know, that's what we need more in this field. I think we need to learn more about this phenomenon. And, you know, we need to to start actually, you know, learning the, the scientific details and the facts about this 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 phenomenon. And that's that was the whole purpose of why we created this SCU page and also so that we could uh, have that as a foundation to work with multiple organizations uh, without any um, conflict of interest. All right. Well, great job, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this. And uh, I'm sure we will be in touch. Thank you, Alejandro. Thanks, Alejandro. Thank you so much to Robert and Morgan for coming on the show. I think the effort they've made on this case is extraordinary in itself. I mean, you know, no matter what happens with this, I think what they've done and this careful research that they've done is really exemplary when it comes to uh, investigations in this field. I mean, it's the way things are supposed to be done. And I'm, what they've done is they've put together a paper with all of their references, all of their resources, all of their findings, and put it out there so everybody can go at it. Take a look and uh, dispute it if you like. But um, I think one thing they ask, which is fair, is that if you're going to dispute something in their report, that you first read the report. And second of all, you know, directly um, cite their report as to where they went wrong and where you may disagree uh, with what they have to say. And especially if you have expertise in any of these areas, that would be very, very helpful. Because I think these guys, of course, they would be disappointed because they've been so excited about um, this potentially being an unknown. And not only they are excited, as we've talked about, many people uh, with uh, the CBP were excited. Um, now we have uh, other people um, excited about this, including these these experts with these systems that can't figure out what this might be themselves. So now we have a, an abundance of expert opinion coming in in support that uh, this thing is an unknown. Um, so if you figured it out or think you've got it figured out, you know, it would be um, really helpful and uh, incumbent upon you to have your T's crossed and your I's dotted. And I think that would help everybody out because uh, then we'll be able to really figure out this mystery. But some great work. I'm so excited about these guys and, and what they've done. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this uh, case with, with them and with others uh, in the group as time goes on. So thank you guys so much for coming on the show and talking about it. Remember, you can see the report and uh, also a suite of FAQs that is being updated as questions come in at explorescu.org. Explorescu.org, and you'll be able to get all the information you're looking for. And uh, that's probably something that we don't mention enough is that they do have you know, quite a few FAQs up there that will answer, I think, many of the questions that you may be curious about. And of course, these links are embedded in um, the radio show description for this podcast and in the story that we wrote about this case at openminds.tv, where we kind of did a summary of. Um, 
a rather lengthy welfare our stories not that our stories uh, we try to keep them from being too long since that's the way media works this these days the shorter the better it seems but uh, you know where I summarized and broke all this stuff down um, to talk about their conclusions but the report has all of the fine details that uh, you may find interesting I certainly did 161 pages so um, it's not something that you can uh, probably get through in an afternoon you might need the weekend but it is well worth it uh, especially if if you have something to add to it which they are excited to hear from others who do so that's it for the show thank you to Caleb Hanks who uh, does the opening and close music for us. You can find a link at uh, the Open Minds Radio for his music that he puts out for free. Really cool stuff. I really like it. Thank you so much to Caleb. Also, thank you all for listening. Um, And don't forget the UFO Congress is coming up. Really cool stuff. We just posted this week. I I haven't even told you guys this exciting news yet. We did post some of the speakers this week, so um, we posted about half of them, maybe a little half of, less than half the speakers for the 2016 UFO Congress, and I think it's a really exciting list, so um, check that out. I'll be talking more about that as time goes on, and uh, one way you would have known that we uh, posted those speakers is if you're on our email list because we are sending out emails regularly now. If you're not on our email list, you can easily get on the email list by just going to openminds.tv and you'll see in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little blue box where you can just put your email in there, push submit, and bada-boom, bada-bing, you're in. If for some reason you can't get to our homepage or maybe... um, It's just easy because you got your mobile and you just want to shoot us an email and tell us, hey, add this email to to your email list. We could do that too. You can email us at contact at openminds.tv. But yeah, go to ufocongress.com and check out this cool list of speakers that we got going. Uh, We'll be talking more about that, uh, like I said, in the next few weeks and months before the exciting conference yay anyway uh that is it for the show today again i apologize for not getting this up earlier i was not feeling good and now that i've been yammering on at length i'm starting to feel a little funny so i better go rest um you guys have yourselves a wonderful day And we will talk to you next week. Adios, muchachos.